All right. Uh, also, in case you forgot, we are doing a trivia night on September 15th. You guys did so well last week when I made fun of you and called you out <laughs> and said, stop signing up at the last minute. And all of a sudden, it's like, ding, ding. Great job. If you haven't signed up for trivia, sign up. Uh, if you are just one person and you want to be on a team, we will stick you on a team. You can be a team of one, two, 20, doesn't matter. Uh, just sign up so you know how many are coming. We have two food trucks that are going to be there for the event. Uh, they will be ready to start serving food at 5.30. It's a great time because last time we weren't ready till 6, 5.30. And they have pagers. So when you order, you can go in and be a part of the trivia, not standing there waiting for your food. And then it'll and then you can go over and get your food and come back. So you're not spending all your time at the trailer. You're welcome. We're trying to figure out all of our mistakes. You don't got to keep telling us about them. We're, we're figuring out we got it. So there you go. Uh, Friday night, September 15th, uh, doors will open at 5. We're going to do a short kids round at 5.30. The kids will go to where they're being watched for the night, and the adult round starts at 6. It really is a lot of fun. It really is. Uh, any, who's been? Was it fun? Yeah. yeah see? They're not just saying that either because they, they like me. All right, if you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on the communion tables, but we're doing them differently for this series where we have this binder. You can grab one outside. The binders are free. Do not feel like you have to take one if you don't want one. The binders are because we're handing you extra material during every week of this series. Uh, the extra material is outside to go in here. I will talk about the extra material in the middle of the message today. Uh, but for uh, the sermon notes for today, uh, they look like this. Again, full sheet, uh, hole punched on the side so they will fit in those binders. And what you get is a short recap of what we talk about. And then you have these questions. Vertical is like, what is God doing? And then internal, that is, what is God doing in me as I begin to reflect and understand that? And horizontal is, how am I going to live this out in my life in front of other people? Then you have these action steps. There's the verses we're covering, a little place for notes on the side. If you have an app called Version, what you can do is you can Download that app and then click on more and then events. We will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get those sermon notes. You'll get a link tree that goes to really all the stuff we're doing in this series. We have a whole forgive page on our website that has all the materials so far, but you really get everything that goes with today's message. I think that's everything. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Psalm 130 verses 3 and 4. This is what it says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, that means keep a record of sins. O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to understand that if you did keep a record of our sins and that Christ had never come, there would be no way we could ever stand before you. But in grace and mercy, you have come to rescue and save us and draw us to yourself. And we thank you for that so that we get to live in this new, redeemed life that is centered upon you. So today, teach us what it means to live in that, to trust you, and to glorify you with our lives. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series through Forgiving and Forgiveness. We are taking this series, as I said, directly from Tim Keller's book called Forgive. It's one of the best books I have read this year. I was talking to the staff, and I said, I wish I could write this well or just speak this well, maybe preach this book front to back. And they said, oh, you should do that. So here we are, eight weeks into the series. 
your home stretch. We are in the, after this week, you got three weeks. We're gonna bring this all together because we need to understand what forgiveness is, how to forgive one another so we can extend that to others around us. Now we're doing this series because we as a church family need to understand what authenticity in our lives looks like with one another so we can be a deeper centered gospel community. Now I keep acknowledging it is summer and if you're gone, please listen to the week before, the weeks that you've missed or watch the the YouTube podcast or YouTube. Just keep up to date because they do all go together. Each one will sit on its own. If you're new this morning and you're like, I'm not gonna, you're gonna know, it's gonna be fine. It'll sit on its own, but they do go better together. Now I'm gonna briefly recap. We talked about the first couple weeks of this series. We even have an infographic in week two. If you're a visual learner, yay. Okay. Works for you too. But there are three basic dimensions of Christian forgiveness. The first one is the vertical, and that's where it starts. It is God's forgiveness of us. God's forgiveness of us. Then it comes that internal as we begin to deal with that and understand God's forgiveness first of us. And then we can look at those who have wronged us and understand that in light of what God has first done. And then third, there is the horizontal. That's where it begins to go out of us, towards other people to reconcile with others. The horizontal is based on the internal. The internal is based upon the vertical. The first part of forgiveness does not start with our heart or how we feel. It starts with God. It starts with the vertical. We must recognize our need for and our reception of forgiveness from God. Fundamental to how we will forgive other people is our own understanding of God's forgiveness first of us. This is what we understand in the good news of what the gospel, what the gospel brings. It's why Jesus saves us so that we could be a people who understand why we need the removal of our guilt and shame. And it gives us the resources necessary then to offer forgiveness to other people. We get to be God's ambassadors in the world to those around us. Now, today's going to be a nice little side excursion. If the last weeks were kind of heavy for you, this week will be better. Yay, you're welcome. We'll take a little breather before we hit the last three weeks, which are going to be very practical. Give you a lot of practical steps in those last three weeks. But we have to understand why, where we are, and that we have this thing called guilt and shame that most of us carry. And a lot of people don't even use those words. We don't know how to put our finger on it and name it, but that's really what makes us live our lives the way that we do, that our past really does affect our current uh, our current and our future. When we talk about God's forgiveness, some people say focusing on the past makes us live in the past. But what you have to understand is all of our lives are lived out of the past. Every decision we make is because something else has already happened. We're making decisions based upon other decisions. And for the most people, we have this low-level sense in our lives that there is just something wrong and we can't put our finger on it. Now, the scriptures call this guilt and shame. Uh, our culture will call different things. In 1887, Frederick Nietzsche said that as more and more people rejected religion and God, all of these older moral reflexes that had created those experiences of guilt and shame would start to just go away. Get rid of religion, guilt and shame goes away. Sigmund Freud comes along and he teaches that human beings are crushed under guilt and shame, but those are imposed upon you by families and tribes and religion, and in his words, other oppressive, life-suffocating cultural institutions. And he taught that freedom will 
will only come when you can analytically remove those social structures, get rid of all of those things, and all the guilt and all the shame would be removed. Karl Marx comes along. Karl Marx talks about guilt and shame, but he had this thing that that comes about social order and class structure, and they place these things upon you to keep themselves in power and keep you under their thumb. Uh, Marx, Freud, Nietzsche, they're all very popular today and a lot of social movements that push for the secularization of Western society. But what they predicted, that if you got rid of all these societal institutions, that guilt and shame would go away, it's not true. It hasn't happened. They said, oh, guilt and shame will only be in these little isolated pockets of religious communities. Not true. Over the last two decades, guilt and shame has actually increased. The more that we have gotten rid of God in American life, the more that guilt and shame has increased. We have made ourselves and our truth the center of our lives. People say, oh, this is my truth. It's my life. Wilford McClay wrote this article called The Strange Persistence of Guilt. And in it, he said, what has happened is now people have a pervasive need to find innocence through moral absolution and somehow discharge one's moral burden. Yet the fact is that the conventional means of finding that absolution or even keeping the range of one's responsibility for sins within some kind of reasonable boundaries are no longer generally available. And you're like, I, you lost me in the middle of that. Okay, let me explain what that means. He says, by rejecting God, we've made it worse. That's what we've done. He argues in this article how today we have this new reverse shame honor culture where victims and people who are marginalized gain greater honor, and we do that as a response trying to make ourselves feel better. That as sinners are trying to discharge our guilt without admitting we're sinners by saying, oh, we will lift up these people so I feel better about myself. He says, making a claim to the status of certified victim or identifying with victims offers itself as a substitute means by which the moral burden of sin can be shifted and one's innocence affirmed. Now, it's all psychological speak. I, I get that. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Last summer, Steve Pruitt did this great message explaining what this means because we get it all out of whack. You know, this doesn't mean that you, you work out your own salvation. What it means is there is unity in the body as we live out what God has already done in context. McClay in his article will say that our culture has come to a place where they actually are trying to work out their own self-salvation by fear and trembling of either themselves or other people. And this is why I thought a good title for today's message in this Forgive series would be Our Need. Because we need to find a way to deal with our guilt and shame or whatever you want to call it that is in your life. Because if we don't, we're not going to learn how to properly forgive. Sometimes I can walk up to people and I will say, hey, can we meet sometime soon? And I will tell you probably 80% of the time, the response I get is, why, what I do? <laughs> right? All the time. I know this as well. Some of you as that. Hey, Aaron, can we meet? And I'm like going, ah, oh, what did I do or what did somebody else do that I'm going to have to deal with now? What, what's happening with all of this? All I can think if I did something wrong. And see, we, we've all got that just a little bit. Someone asks to talk or meet and you can only think it's bad news. That is that innate guilt. That inside something is just wrong. Sometimes when people say this to me, I will sit and try and think, you know, what did I do? Because if I give myself enough time, I can think of a few things. I really, it's pretty easy. 
But there was even once I asked to talk to somebody at Element, and it was really to thank them for something that they were doing, but I wanted to do it more personal than just on a Sunday morning walking by and saying, hey, thanks. And so I said, hey, can we meet? They left Element. And I have not, I have reached out to this person for a few years now, and they always just ignore me because they think I wanted to yell at them for something, and I didn't. I just wanted to say thank you. And there it is. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, some of you guys might even know who it is. Anyway, it's, it's really hard when there's no resolution. And the Forgive book goes into great detail about we have this modern mindset. They say we have a sensation of anxiety and shame whose center cannot be located and therefore cannot be placated. Meaning our Western culture today has done everything we can to say, I don't believe in God, don't believe in heaven, don't believe in hell, I don't believe in moral categories, and it has made everything worse. Because now that guilt, that shame, that anxiety, that low-level thing that sits there, it just cannot be eradicated. We will say, well, I don't believe in sin and I don't believe in guilt. And yet there is a voice inside of us that tells us that it's foolish. And secular culture has no answer to that need. It's kind of like our government where we just keep, you know, spending and kicking the can down the road. This is what we do with that low-level anxiety. We keep trying to bury it and not talk about it and think something else is going on. We just keep not dealing with it. So rather than dismissing it, maybe we should look at what the Bible actually says about it. That might be a really good thing, because when sin entered the world by our own choice, this is what we are told it brought into the world, and not understanding it leads to a lack of forgiveness. So what we're going to talk about today is this fall into guilt, and the Bible's explanation of that. If you, in the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 3, you see God's vision for the world, what He created, what He meant, and you can contrast that with our experience. There there are two words that are really important in the first uh, chapters of Genesis. The first word is this word called shalom, and shalom translates simply as the word peace, but it's so much more than peace. It's everything in the right place, in the right space, in the right time, in the right way, in the right relationships. Everything is all right with you and God, with you and one another, with you and creation. It's God's favor, God's blessing. That is how the earth was created. That is how we were meant to live in shalom with God. The second word is this word called tov, or tov or tov, whatever. It's, it's translated as the word good. And when we think about good, it's like we think specific things. It is really anything that is good. I mean, this could be from the creation itself to chocolate chip cookies going into the oven. Oh, chocolate chip cookies coming out of the oven. Chocolate chip cookies going down my throat. It's, just, it's, 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 it's good. Now, who gets the call on what is good? God does. God gets the call on what is good. If you have a Bible, open to Genesis chapter 2. It's right in the beginning, really easy to find. And so you got to ask, how does the pristine shalom, tov, harmony between God and man and man and man and man and nature come to be what it is today? Uh, if God creates something as simple as like the human body, why does nakedness cause us shame? And why do we use words like shameful when people have their baby making parts hanging out? In short, how is the existence of evil to be accounted for in our world? Well, the writer of Genesis says the answer is not that the earth or creation is evil, like the Greeks did, like we talked about the Greeks, and it's not that it's metaphysical, like Eastern religions say, it's that it's moral, that evil is humanly wrought. What God will do is He will give humanity these vestiges of free will, but it's only beneficial so far as it's exercised in God's divine will. And any abuse of the power that God gives His people makes disaster inescapable. We were meant to live in shalom and tov with God. We are not supposed to live in evil and self-sufficiency. Genesis 2 verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of 
every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, see, God's not like us. Hey, maybe it would be a bad idea if you ate from that. Maybe you shouldn't do that. God's like, I'm God, you're not. Don't eat from the tree. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this is the thing that man has really sought to always exclude God from our life. The scriptures teach wisdom and life is thinking and living in line with God. Folly and death is thinking and living apart from Him. And daily, Adam is given this opportunity. You can choose wisdom and folly or, or you can choose death, life or death. Some people have asked, why doesn't God want us to know the good from the evil? And that's not what this is saying at all. Good in Hebrew are two different words. That word tov or tob and this word called vera. Vera means the evil. And God says, there are just some things you don't need to know. And I know you hear that, but I need to know everything. You don't know who I am. I got to know everything. God says, you don't need to know what drug addiction is like. You don't need to know what abuse feels like. You don't need, you don't need to know what country music sounds like. You got to trust God. You got to trust God in these things. In Genesis, what God says, is, you got to trust me because I know what you need. I made you. And Adam, like us, has this choice to obey God every single day. And what happens is Adam is given everything he needs, and yet, in the end, he still distrusts God. So when Genesis 3 starts, you can go there, something new is now introduced. Two things, actually. You meet this creature called the serpent, and the serpent is like, hey, did you see this tree that God made? It's great. You should really try some of that. You know, I mean, he's trying to keep you from it, because, but you need to, like, actualize your own potential. You need to go for that tree. It's awesome. And the second thing that is introduced is death. And what you will see is that death ends up being separation from life, from God. The one thing God told them not to do is the one thing they did. Why? Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And then the man eats right after this. But they did this because it's what pleased them, not what pleased God. Now, who are we supposed to look to for the good? God. You're in church. You can say that. You can probably get that like 90% of the time when I ask a question. Jesus, God, you're going to be good. Okay, so you look to God for good, for wisdom. But you see what it says here? When she thought the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She's looking to the tree, not God, to make her wise. That's where her focus is. I know, you can make all kinds of fun of this because people do this today. They go in the woods like a bunch of hippies and they're hugging trees. Oh, I love the trees. Anyway, it's just kind of weird. But there is this doctrine that we call original sin. And yes, this is the original sin. But the doctrine means that Adam and Eve at this time were the head of the human race. And because of their sin, we are now born into sin because they sinned. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 22, it, this verse starts like this, For as in Adam all die. And now the ideal of shalom has been broken. We ran from God. We rebelled. All of creation has lost the innocence and freedom that came from only knowing the good that God wants to give to us. Now, in your supplemental resources, if you want to grab that today, uh, what I did, because I, I don't have time today to go into this whole doctrine of original sin because that's a whole nother eight weeks of messages, uh, but we put a short little recap of what it looks like. So it's a short article on original sin. There's also a link to a John Piper article uh, on that at the bottom of that. And on the other side is the x-ray questions that we can start to ask what that has brought about in us. So that's your supplemental resource. You can grab that if you want to. If you don't want to bind, you can grab one of those on the way out. So you may then say, okay, original sin, all these things, why am I punished for what that guy did? Well, again, original sin, but also, if we were in the same position, we would do the exact same thing, every single one of us. And you know how I know? Look at your own life. Just look at your own life. If you're honest enough, if you and God disagree, who wins? 
We do. We are constantly deciding for ourselves. You know, God might have said that, but I really just want to go do this. God may have said no, but ah, my heart says yes. And I'm going to run towards that thing. Genesis 3, 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What this tells you is that their sin exposed them. Their sin made them lose their innocence, and their connection to each other is now gone. Their connection with God is now severed. They become separated. They died. This is what we call the fall. The fall. And it's not in esoteric terms like all these other things. This is in real world what exactly happens. They sew these fig leaves together to cover themselves. They're no longer going to know this beauty of innocence, the good that meant they can lay themselves before one another and God and never feel ashamed deep in their soul. That is now gone. That is depicted as this feeling of nakedness of nakedness and they're trying to cover that they feel exposed and vulnerable and immediately they try to cover up they tried to hide the truth of who they have now become apart from God and each other the sense that really deep inside of them that something is wrong with them this now comes about and all of a sudden what is wrong with me what is wrong with the world something's going on something I cannot justify And so they cover themselves with these fig leaves and try to control now what other people see about them. They even hide the truth of who they are from themselves, just like us. You extrapolate that out millennia later, we cannot even today let people get an unfiltered view of who we are, an out-of-control look of who we are. We have all these walls around ourselves. It's like we're not proud of who we are in the raw. So we desperately look for ways to cover up and curate a flawless image. Uh, Keller in the book writes, Instagram is not enough. This is totally true. We filter how others see us. You know, to get an unprocessed view of who we are, the self without any makeup on, would be intolerable to us. And this comes from the fall. You know, if we had nothing to hide, there would be not this fear and shame. Forgiveness would come so easy because we'd understand ourselves and other people. But there is just this thing. Nakedness causes that deep sense that there's something wrong in the world. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong about me, something sinful. There's something inadequate. I am not who I should be. So I'm trying to figure this out. What if people saw just how foolish so many of our decisions and thoughts are, how petty, how scared, how self-obsessed. We spend so much time in our lives trying to find ways to cover up that deep sense of inadequacy. In the Forgive book, they ask this series of questions. Not all of these will relate to you, but maybe some of them do. It asks, why do so many people work themselves to death to be successful? Why do some people have no boundaries and are not able to say no to anyone? Why do others stay unattached, not allowing any real friendships or committed romantic relationships to develop? Why do so many people respond and act in anger to one another to push people away? Why are some people rescuers who are always trying to save people in crisis? Why do some people live in perpetual victim mode, spending all their time blaming others for harming them? Why do others engage in abusive behavior, living a lifestyle based on the principle, do unto others before they get a chance to do unto you? Why do some people work so hard to say, no one can make me feel guilty, I define my own moral values? Why is there such the problem with gender confusion today? Because there is a deep, deep need. Something is wrong with me. And if I just did that, I would feel better. Why do others become highly religious and moralistic and then turn to condemn everyone with the wrong beliefs? Why do so many seek out non-committed sexual encounters on Tinder or Grindr when some voice tells them this isn't wise 
or right? Why do so many people love to spread slander and gossip about others? Why do so many people want to redefine the terms of love in their own terminology so they feel better? Why do we want to believe that all people in leadership are on the take or that all institutions are corrupt? It is fig leaves. We're trying to cover ourselves. Your work could be a fig leaf. It can. Holding on to your youth for a lot of people becomes a fig leaf. A desperate need for acceptance can be a fig leaf. They are all efforts to deal with our unacceptability, our unlovability that we all have. And I will tell you this, fig leaves don't work. Fig leaves don't work. If you had actual clothes made of fig leaves, they'd fall apart all the time because that's what fig leaves do. They just fall apart. So is there any way that God could restore us to the place where we can again know his good? Well, yes. Genesis 3 verse 9. So God comes walking. It says in the cool of the day in the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? So again, God's walking in the garden. He calls out to this man, where are you? Does the creator of the entire universe have a hard time finding naked people in a garden? No, no. It's like, where did I leave my, leave my rake? Where did I leave my shovel? Where did I leave that naked person? They're not hard to find, okay? When God says, where are you? It means, where are you now? That's, he's trying, Genesis 3, when this happens, it's written like, like a legal treaty. So they're like these questions of, hey, I'm asking you some legal questions. What's going on? You weren't satisfied with the world I placed you in. You ran after yourself. You tried to create this reality apart from me. You didn't like the hierarchy, so you went outside the boundaries you were created for. So where are you now? Where are you? And this happens today in our lives, especially in our relationships, because we run from the forgiveness and reconciliation that God calls us to and they fall apart. And we're angry and we're miserable and we're sad. And God says, where has following you led you? It leads us to this place where we have broken relationships and broken lives. But the beauty of the garden is that God came looking. It's God who came looking for us. It is God who sends his son to come and die for us in our place. Now, God will get their attention and God will speak to the serpent and the man and the woman, Genesis 3.15. And this is what he will say. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, meaning Satan will be crushed when Jesus comes. And in the meantime, you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is extrapolated out throughout the scriptures in what we call the gospel, the good news. Though when you hear the word the gospel, all it means is good news. And so when we talk about the good news, this is the good news. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion, the preaching of the first gospel. Now, who preaches the first gospel? Usually when you see God in the flesh walking on the earth in the Old Testament, we call this a theophany, and it's typically Jesus. So Jesus promises that he himself will come and take care of the mess that we have made. So what we have to do is start where God starts so we understand our need. If we are not willing to hear the Bible's teaching about where this sense of nakedness or shame or anxiety or whatever it is comes from, if we don't recognize the fig leaves in our lives, we are going to be and stay trapped. What does this have to do with forgiveness or our shame? This shows why God's forgiveness is key to understanding our lives. What we need to see is Genesis 3 introduces that sin is rebellion. It is disruption. It is what leads to all these feelings of shame and guilt. But what you also have to understand is Genesis 3 is not how the story began. That is not how the story began. And here's your good news. It's not how the story ends. The story doesn't end with Genesis 3. And many times we get really caught up in talking about sin and shame and guilt, but we're not talking about all that the gospel does because, again, the gospel doesn't begin and end there. The plot line of the story 
is God's promise and God's redemption in Jesus. The promise made after sin entered the world was the promise of Jesus eventually dying on the cross for us. The gospel is the story of Jesus' restoration of humanity that can lead us to the places where we forgive and love one another. That is our need. In Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Interesting, that word all things, you know what it translates as? All things. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty simple. But it means it's cosmic, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross is an act on God's part to bring reconciliation to all things. And so this story starts before the fall. And if we only focus on the story at the fall, then the primary issue of the gospel becomes removal of sins, which is very, very important. But this leads Christians to make these bumper stickers that say, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, as if that's all. As if that's all. There's nothing more. If you start with Genesis 3 as the beginning, then the story, all that Jesus does is forgive sin, which is very important. I'm not saying it's not. But if you see the beginning, the Bible shows the gospel, the result, brings about the restoration of Shalom and Tov. That's what it brings about. It shows our need for relationship with God. Our need for relationship with God starts before the fall ever happened. It's, it's exasperated immensely in the fall, but it starts before that. Because after the fall, our posture towards other people tends to be self-centered, not towards forgiveness of others. It's not towards restored relationships. We spend so much time today trying to make other people know what they aren't. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not sanctified enough. You're not righteous enough. And guess what? They're all true. Every single one of those is, is actually true. But if we start where God starts, you remind yourself and others of what you are meant to be, who you are meant to be. You were created to be an image bearer of God. You were created to be in relationship with God. You were made to be a son or a daughter of your loving Heavenly Father. In Genesis 1, when God creates everything, He says, it's good. It is good. When He makes humanity, He says, it is very good. And that means you are not an accident. You were created with purpose and dignity and hope. We were made to be a people that reflect who God is. And I'll tell you, so are other people around you. So is everyone else. There is this sad, secular view of humanity that keeps trying to destroy humanity as we keep trying to make ourselves the center of everything. And that is not what we need. We need to understand that our deep ache comes because we've rebelled against God. We're built against who God made us to be. We have gone our own way. We are put ourselves in the place of God, and we have caused massive devastation to creation and to ourselves. And we walk around with that low-level anxiety that just sits there. There's something wrong, and there is something wrong. It's called sin. But God is inviting us to return home. You know that the word repentance in a, in a Hebrew mindset, it meant to return you return to who God calls you to be. So you start the story where God does. It allows us to show how good God is, how we got where we are, and why people have that internal ache inside of them. I think two people, often people forget that why we have the guilt and shame that we do. It is so easy to make God's story about how to get out of this place. Fi you know, raptures and fire insurance and heavens away from this dump and these messed up relationships with those messed up people, unlike me, who's so great. You know, but all that does is center God's redemptive activity somewhere else and enables us to hide from all of our issues and hide from all of our sin. It, again, makes it somewhere else rather than looking to what God is doing now in this present reality as He restores us to Himself day by day. We are called to be a people who live on mission with God in this world to bring heaven to earth, to even today, to live differently. We are intended for more. 
We are meant to be a people who are overwhelmed with the idea of rescue and redemption and our own forgiveness. That is what we extend to others. But that only happens when we experience it first. And this is why I want to tell you, if you have not come to a place today where your life surrenders to Jesus Christ, today is the perfect day to do that. This is the perfect day to surrender all that you are to Him. We use these terms of being born again as God makes us spiritually alive again because we are, we are born spiritually dead. And if you want to live in this restored relationship of shalom and tov with God, you surrender all that you are to all that He is. And you ask Him and trust Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. We don't need to run from our need. We need to understand our need. Our need is for Him. And everyone else's need is for Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it like this. For our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is really what the Scriptures are all about. The glory of God, the redemption of man, the revealing of Jesus Christ. We get forgiveness and salvation, but it is still all about Him. God does not choose to save us because we are so good or because we're so lovable, but because He is good. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, what I said starts like this, For as in Adam all die, this is how that verse ends. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus reverses what we brought about in the place of the fall. And this is why we trust Him and surrender our lives to Him. Understanding our needs leads us to the place where we can understand other people's needs because we all need Jesus. And by God's grace, that is what, that is who we have. You know, I know... Today, this is a little side excursion, but I'm resetting the foundation of where we are to understand. But we have to understand that we surrender our lives to Christ. And when we do that, we get to be a people who live in God's grace. We get to be a people who become born again. We get to be a people who start to begin to re-experience the restoration of shalom and tov. And God brings about, as a result of the gospel, the restoration of all that was lost. And this is the beauty the beauty of who God is and what God has done. This is one of the reasons every Wicked Element we try and bring you guys to the place of communion. It's a reminder of what Jesus did to bring us to Himself. Communion's not magical. Communion is not something where you take it and all of a sudden you are like the most spiritual person in the world. It's a reminder because Jesus says you do this in remembrance of me, of what I have done, what I have come to do. That promise that took place all those millennia ago, back in the book of Genesis, when he shows up and says, you did this, Jesus comes and he promises himself and then he comes bodily to give himself for us in our place to bring us back into relationship with God again. All that we broke, Jesus is the one who is bringing restoration to it all. And this is why we surrender ourselves to the king that made us, the God who calls what is good, and we trust him in what that goodness is. And this is why if you want community, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken, you dip it in the wine of the grape juice as a reminder and remembrance of what Christ has done. If you need prayer, maybe you are someone who has never really trusted Christ, you've never surrendered, you have this low-level ache of something, there's just something wrong and I don't know what to do with it. You have a million fig leaves you're trying to weave into a suit of some sort around your life and you want someone to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. We would love to talk through these things and introduce you to who Jesus is and what he is doing and how he calls us to himself. Now, we are a church that doesn't pass a plate for offerings. What we do is we have an offering box on the side wall. You can give online. But we believe that we give because God has first been generous to us. 
and that enables Element as a church to be generous to the community around us as well. And so if you want to give, we give because God first gave to us. And I encourage you to grab those sermon notes, uh, grab the supplemental resource that talks about original sin and, and what it means, and begin to ask yourself some of these questions in there because understanding and dealing with our own fig leaves, even when you call yourself a believer, is very important because those fig leaves keep trying to hide us from the work that God is doing in us, and it keeps us hiding from one another. That's interesting. Uh, Michael, we recorded this podcast this week, and he pointed this thing out, which is, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. You know, they try to cover themselves with these fig leaves. And what God does when he shows up is he actually will slay an animal and cover them with animal skins. So even our trying to cover up isn't proper covering up. And God slays an animal to show what he will eventually do and how he comes to save us, that Jesus will be slain to cover us, to take away our sin. And this is the reason why we understand that we can never save ourselves. We trust him for what he has done, and that changes our lives to be those who can live in hope and grace and true life again. Let's be those people who don't shy away from but understand our need and the need for the, in the world around us. And the reason a lot of the world reacts the way that it does because it doesn't even understand that need. It's burying it. It's running from it. It doesn't want to deal with it. But we know what it is, and that should give us some depth of compassion for those around us because people are lost, and they need to know who Christ is to be a people that come before the throne of God and trust Him for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would help us to understand what it means to trust you, the grace and reconciliation that we have received, that we would understand that that anxiety, that low-level feeling that something is just wrong, and it comes back to the understandings of guilt and shame that we have brought about in the world. And so, have us honestly assess in our lives what our fig leaves are, how we are trying to cover up and not just hide from you, but hide from others and hide even from ourselves that we are afraid to admit the reality of our own fallenness before you, before ourselves, and before others. And so teach us to come to a place of trust in you so everything can just be laid bare and we would begin to live and walk in freedom and hope and understanding our need is what our entire world needs which is you have us as we walk through this next piece of laying that foundation of forgiveness to understand what you have done to bring us to yourself, what it cost, and the benefits that we now get to live in because of your grace and mercy. Have us stand just in awe of what you have done so that we could then stand bare before you knowing that as you see us, you see us through Christ and that there is righteousness placed upon us. And again, that we could then live in freedom and hope. And we would offer that to the world around us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. What I want to encourage you guys to do right now 
And this is hard. Uh, I, I do not think this is easy, but ask God in the next couple moments to reveal to you what your fig leaves are. What do you try and hide yourself with from God or from other people, or even from yourself? Is it a, a self-conscious thing? Is it a subconscious thing? Is it a, are you like, I'm just so confident, and that's what you show to other people, but inside you know you're not. It is, a, is it a sense of humor that kind of keeps everybody else at bay? Is it, a, is it a sadness where you just kind of walk around kind of mopey all the time because, hey, I, you know, and the people are like, oh, I'm so, is it, what's your fig leaf? Ask God to define and show what that is to you. And then because of your love for him, allow him to dismantle that fig leaf and maybe begin to show you what it would be like to live a life without that fig leaf at the center of what you do and who you are that he would take and lead you into grace and life. And if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I think today is a perfect day to just pray, Jesus, forgive me for my many sins. Draw me to yourself. I want to be a child of yours and start that journey. And if you do that, let us know because we'd like to help you in that journey as well. God is, God is amazing and wonderful. He, sh- he doesn't shy away from showing us our need, but he also shows us that our ultimate need in the end is for him and what only he can do. We do not fix our fig leaves by ourselves. It is only through his grace and strength. So ask him to show you. Trust in him to give you the strength to let that thing dismantle and to live a life that honors and glorifies him.